And we've reached the final of our Rugby World Cup podcast. Alan Deegan, welcome along. Hiya, Rob. The last one. It's been a long seven weeks. It feels like it started sometime before the summer. Yeah, it certainly does. Good evening and welcome. I suppose it kind of technically started in the summer in one kind of sense when you think about the warm-up. But anyways, long story short, New Zealand are champions. Yes, they are. Um, <coughs> the, the king is dead, long live the king, even though it's the same king. Um, Always the same king, it seems now. Are they going to just dominate? Are we going to get these kind of like, you know, talking points on the rugby show? Are New Zealand just never going to lose another World Cup, etc., etc.? Well, they will, because the teams will get better, and they will have a drop-off, and they won't have the same guys. But, um, yeah, we just we won't know until 2019 and the final in wherever it's been held, Tokyo, if they ever build that stadium. And if they do keep going, well, more power to them, because right now, you know, we have nothing but admiration for the brilliance of the All Blacks, and we'll even give them the, the, uh, the, their, the title they probably deserve right now, their own favourite title, the All Blacks. New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, they, they scored the most tries, 39 tries. The next team only had 28, which was Australia. They had the most points, 290, as against 250 for the next best team, who were Argentina. They had the most drop goals, two. But it was joint with Argentina and South Africa. But, you know, they know how to score. And they scored lots more than everybody else. Yeah, it's funny how they've learned about drop goals from 2007. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, something they, they apparently was uh, considered bad form by Southern Hemp. Well, South Africa maybe not, but certainly New Zealand. Look, they are the best team. There's no question about it. They played the best rugby. And yesterday they were very, very impressive. They, apart from about 10 minutes when they were down to 14 men, they were in complete control. They almost played a bit within themselves, I think, in the first half. They were just eyeing up the opposition, uh, getting ready to uh, plunge the knife in, and they did it. And uh, you have to take your hat off to them. Did Australia do enough to kind of convince you that they might be the second best team in the world? Probably, yeah. Yeah, they're in the World Cup final and they deserve to be there. So They fought yeah. back well, even though they had the extra man, which was part of it, but they made, they made it look a bit tense for a while. Yeah, well, we, we know a certain team that we support that always seem to struggle when the opposition are down to 14 men. So if you can get two scores during that time, then yeah, you, that's, that's what it's all about. And like, remember, the first try they got, they were going to get anyway, whether that man was on the field or not, because it was a, it was a, uh, a, roll, a mall from a line-out. So, you know, the full-back not being on the field didn't have any impact on that. No question about it. And the decisions were, were probably spot on as well. Yet New Zealand came up with one or two absolute gems in that final in terms of tries. Uh, we, just, we, we were just re-watching Mananu's try, which was probably the moment of the game really, wasn't it? It was, it was. But just going back to the first half, we, like New Zealand did score 10 points when they got the benefit of the doubt on a couple of dubious decisions a couple of minutes earlier in both sets of players. There was a, four, a pass that must have been three or four yards forward um, that, before they got the penalty. And then there was the accidental offside that doesn't seem to be refed anymore <laughs> where the two guys ran into each other whilst, you know, pretty close to Australians, pretty close by. I know it didn't impact the play, but yeah. accidental offside accidental offside. You can't pick and choose what rules you're using. If the law is not required, take it out. For years in rugby, if, if two players bumped into each other like that, it was just, it was, the whole game to stop, it was, it was even the slices of touches. It doesn't matter who you're obstructed. It was like, no, that's a scrum down. Unlucky lads. You have to get yourselves in position on the field correctly. But yeah, they got away with that one. So be it. That's the way it goes. But yeah, having said that, that try from Mananu from the offload that, that Sonny Bill Williams gave where he honeypotted six Australians was just amazing. <laughs> All right, so Australia's tactic to try and deal with the Sonny Bill Williams offloads didn't quite work there. Let's get sixer and oh, no. That was bad defence though as well. Yeah, but he, he took six guys out with one offload, which was by his standards... Really not that brilliant. 
but he still took six guys out. But then you also take into account that, yeah, if that's somebody in our level, at the level we normally look at, or if that's Ireland, you might get a try from it. You knew once Nanu had swerved past his own prop, that was it. Was done. Now he gets a little bit of luck because Beale slips. Beale slips because he's coming across, and yeah. Nanu does he does the feet of him as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's only Bill took six guys out to make it a 50% try, and none of the other 50%. Um, you can't... It's I'll, Yeah, you shouldn't get drawn to... Six guys shouldn't get drawn, shouldn't be taken out by one pass. That's bad, look. But it's a World Cup final, so there's things that will happen in World Cup final, wouldn't it? Because players really, really want to do... They don't want to do the wrong... They don't want to be seen... They don't want to be to do the wrong thing, which often means they make a silly mistake, and that was a silly mistake. And they would never do that in a normal seven. That wouldn't happen in the Bledisloe Cup. That wouldn't happen in the six in the um, in the in the Four Nations. But at the same time, Ben Smith doesn't make that tackle in desperation. He doesn't make he doesn't feel desperate enough to make that tackle, which gets him ten minutes in the bin. You then don't get a situation. New Zealand wouldn't normally concede two tries. With, with a man in the bin It's a World Cup final We've got to take into account The circumstances This is the biggest game That a lot of these guys Will play in It's the biggest game We don't forget This is the biggest game Dan Carter has ever played in And he was majestic He was absolutely majestic it, It's Even though you say McCaw's played in the final And eight of them Have played in the last final It's still a big game Because you can Whatever we think We got annoyed About how What the reaction was To when we lost Because we thought It was too positive Could you imagine If they'd lost Mm. The reaction in New Zealand would have been the complete polar opposite. It would have been a national disaster. Because let's be honest with you, from not um, this is a, the stereotype of New Zealander is he has two passions in life, and that's only if he also likes sheep. And it would have been a national. There were a lot of, for a lot of guys that would have been a national disaster. I don't. I, I don't know if we can comment on that really beyond any further because Andrew listens to this podcast, and I, I think I need to apologize to him directly. So we know Dan Carter's great, and we know McCall's great, and we know all the different elements they have. What, what's the stuff that's not getting enough mentions? Um, well, there was one thing happened yesterday which I thought was quite odd. I thought when they came under pressure, they, there was a little period of time when there was guys doing the right thing but only doing enough. Now, that maybe is enough, but Carter actually grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck a couple of times because I think he could see it's he could just see the mental he was just wondering are we are we in a little bit of trouble here and that's the mark of his ability hmm. uh, I get the impression with New Zealand I said there earlier on they played within themselves a little bit sometimes they just look everybody does what they're supposed to do brilliantly hmm. it's 100% but they never quite produce that absolutely epic moment maybe they don't feel they have to and that's maybe why they're so good that they're just so well drilled and so organized and so good at looking around them and assessing the situation that that's why they are the number one side in the world i sometimes think the epic moments come in sport more from teams that are a little bit short of, of that kind of level of, of processes, of perfection in their processes. And when you hit that level of perfection in the processes, that's where the ep- epic moments drop out because it's more like it just kind of the dominance comes from your your, your precision. Like. Yeah, but you, you have to remember they've only lost three games in four years, mm. which is just a phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal rate. And, and even more so when, when Richie McCaw is on the field. Like they've got a, a something like a, an 82% success rate in, in all matches, but when McCaw is playing, it's 89%. 
which is just he, that man has only. So you're saying McCaw's only worth seven percent in New Zealand? Actually, that's nothing. I think McCaw has only lost six times to Australia, six times to South Africa, once to France, and there's someone else in there, and they've they lost twice to England, mm. and that's it. He's never lost to any other team, including the Lions. <laughs> you know that guy. That, that is just an unbelievable. I think Andrew's son James came up with a stat that. Richie McCaw has played in something like 34% of all the winning times that uh, the All Blacks have ever won. And I said the All Blacks there. Which is just astonishing because like, he's played 147 matches and he's won 130 out of them. So like he's he's got an amazing ability to be on the right team. I was just checking it today from 2000 when he started playing rugby in a professional team. Either his in Canterbury or with the Crusaders, or with uh, with New Zealand, he has won a championship every single year. Dave. That's 15 <clears throat> years. Every single year. That is just unbelievable. Well, I think all of us like lots of other sports. One or two here. Well, one man here is uh, Alan isn't the biggest fan of soccer for for many obvious reasons. And I'm not going to turn I'm not going to turn this into a soccer bashing because that's cliche. I'm not. You know, we know that what Ronaldo brings to the show when he scores a penalty uh, to win. You know, in a three 0 win in a Champions League final, it really is pretty meaningless and is only icing on the cake. He's taking his shirt off and stuff. What I like, what, what really epitomizes rugby is how good McCaw is, but how he doesn't make himself the centerpiece to the point that when he's lifting. Lifting the trophy, you just suddenly realise that's one time when a trophy's been lifted that you're actually happy that one guy on his own is lifting it, even though he wasn't. It wasn't a one-man show, but he plays a part in a team. He's just a, he's a he's a cog in the wheel, but he's he's something we'll never ever see the likes of again. If we're going to do an analogy with a soccer <coughs> player, he is like he is Sergio Busquets, he is a Lucas Leiva. He's that guy yeah. who, in defence, breaks down the other team. He doesn't have to be that flash with with the ball. He just has to do be competent enough with it. But he is the person who destroys the other team. He doesn't necessarily make New Zealand score points, but he absolutely guarantees that you will work your balls off to make sure that you score points because he absolutely you saw it was it was for the first half it was an epic battle of sec of, of the back rows and he just got on top and there was an incident that we we highlighted we were watching it when we were watching it back um, and, and I think Alan was was very excited about it, was just after they had finally <laughs> yeah. got back together. McCaw, it was a one-on-one McCaw v Pocock. These are the two best back rows in the entire competition, and McCaw wins, wins hands down. It's a very brief moment. It's only about three seconds, but it's, as Alan, I'll use Alan's phrase, it epitomised the game. And I think that's what he does. He, he will, yes we, we, yes, we all think he's offside. He is. Yes, he all gets away. He, yes, he breaks the laws. Yes, he does. But if he, he only breaks the laws if he gets caught. And to be fair, he has been put in the bin of this World Cup. So he isn't, he isn't flawless. But my God, Sam Kane, who is the designated player, is going to have, if he is a third of the player McCaw, McCaw is, has a third of the success McCaw has, he's going to be one hell of a player. I'm just beginning to think, yeah, go for it. Yeah, so just, just on that, we've got a young lad called Nepia Fox playing for us who nobody had heard of, and he's been more or less our best forward constantly for the first five games of the season now the other guys have all come and gone and they've all played but he has just been incredibly brilliant and that's the McCaw factor he's playing seven he knows what it is to be the best he know, like he's, he's, he's obviously studied under McCaw or seen McCaw in action and watched how it's done and like we didn't know who he was everyone was worried about oh, who are we after signing who is this guy he doesn't even play first team rugby in, in New Zealand 
and yet he's a phenomenal player for us. Yeah, just is he only twenty two? And I, there was one stage yesterday where Tiernan Halloran got taken out by a piece of tuggery. And uh, for those of you who are listening, who don't follow Connacht, and uh, Napier Fox had to scramble back. Someone had to, and it was Napier Fox, and he didn't have this out and out pace. You're like, oh god, is he even going to get to the ball? Gets the ball, hits the ground, gets up, shoves off the tackle, steps another guy, and so so like the other thing that's coming is you know McCall has lots of skills as well, and he could do things like that. But these younger players, they're dynamic, they're athletic, they're a new generation, but they've got the Richie McCaw attitude as well. So they're just going to be even better than McCaw in one sense, obviously, in terms of the impact in the world game, no one might have the impact of what he had. Yeah, he set the template and it's a heck of a template to work from. Like I know there's talk about you know Richie McCaw being the greatest rugby player of all time. I, I, well, I always hate these individual things, but how can you be the greatest rugby player of all time? He doesn't kick goals. He doesn't play 10. He doesn't play 15. He plays 7. Yeah, he's he's the greatest seven. 7 and possibly the greatest captain of all time, but you can't call him the greatest rugby player of all time because there's too many different positions. One. I really love working with these lads. They're just such a good bunch of lads and they're, they're professionals from start to finish. That's all I'm going to say in between the takes. Uh, World Cup has gone on for six weeks. It feels even longer, but in one sense, it doesn't either because it's been brilliant and I'm sorry it's over. Absolutely. Six weeks and a day. Um, fantastic. It was the best World Cup ever. It sort of really put rugby on the map as a, as a highly entertaining game. Um, brilliance of Japan, the, the, the joy of the Georgians, the, the absolute brilliantness of that, that group of death and just the, the way those matches panned out. Um, yeah, everything went well apart from Ireland losing in the quarterfinal. William, what I liked about it is you have a tournament where the team that everyone thought might, might win and probably would win it has won it. The final was pretty much predictable. There were two teams from the Southern Hemisphere, all those kind of things, you know, that sometimes people say, oh, it's boring, it's taken away from the It didn't take away from it at all because it just was brilliant and it was highly entertaining. It didn't because of the quality of the, the everything about the tournament, mm. including the weather, mm. which is phenomenal. <laughs> they could never, ever have turned that out again. Mm. Global, global warming. Global warming, Global yeah. warming. Um, Our weekly reference. <laughs> and the crowds that turned up, the tickets that were sold, the stadiums bringing rugby to some unusual places. They've done a phenomenal job. They've really put it up to anybody who's thinking of hosting the tournament or in Japan's case are hosting the tournament because stadiums that are full work and I'll do a slight tangent here if you ever go back in YouTube to older sporting events from the 70s and 80s even the 90s it's amazing how empty the grounds were mm. You watch World Cup game from 87 or 91 mm. they look busy I know. but they're not yeah. but now Full grounds, sold out, 90% capacity is what's expected. Yeah. And England achieved that. Uh, and the slightly bizarre games in Cardiff, which I still don't really understand. But anyway, that's, that's the way it was done. And that's why it's been the best World Cup. But mostly it's been the best World Cup because of the quality of the rugby that's been played. There's a few things that would have changed. Um, I think it started off with a flurry of games. And, what it, and it's a slight noise that... I think everybody accepts that Japan could and would have given the Scotland a better game if they'd had a week's preparation time. And yet, since in the last three weeks, we've had four, last two weeks, we've had four games. 
I think that's a problem. If you're going to stretch it out for six weeks in a day, could you at least make sure you don't, in the last two weeks, you have more than four games? I think this, I know I don't know. I mean, there are pros and cons to this. Would you, should you have a ball or a plate or something? Just so there's games played midweek so other teams. I mean, there are pros and cons to that. But it just feels a little bit, it was all a bit rushed and then it kind of evened up. But like, but then again, you, said, you can say that about all world tournaments, that they, the games become less and less. Yeah. But there's just the gaps, the gap between the quarterfinals and the finals is maybe a bit too long. Um, I have to agree with William. I think I think the English have put on one hell of a show. Um, they do it. They they're brilliant bureaucrats and they're brilliant clerks and they're brilliant at getting a structure in place and doing things. And they do it absolutely fantastic. Um, about two years ago, I looked at where the grounds were. I'm thinking, holding every matches in Newcastle, Milton Keynes, Brighton. You weren't using rugby. You weren't doing rugby. You weren't, not only were you not using in rugby heartlands, you weren't using rugby stadiums. Great call, fantastic call. It's 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 throwing the gauntlet down. There you go, guys. That's how you organise it. Everything else is just twinkering. This is the basic structure you put in place, and that's the template they said. And Japan have hosted a World Cup in soccer, but they also hosted it with South Korea. Now they have issues. They have found themselves in a strange position in the last in the in the last few months over the stadiums. They've had to completely redesign the stadiums. They got sued for copyright infringement on their logo for God's sake. Um, but I think the gauntlet's been thrown down, and yeah, that's what you need to do. Somebody does something better than does something brilliantly. That's the gauntlet. You have to try and outdo them, and if the Japanese can, fair play to them. And just on on in a corporate takeover of rugby, as we know, there were still elements of old style rugby playing games in Exeter and Gloucester. It's it's like even the marketing people didn't have full control over their decision-making because at least a bit of common sense came through then. And it wasn't as much annoying things. Like, you watch a game in Murrayfield now and they have music when there's an injury. None of that creeped into the World Cup, which was great. There was some, there was a lot to feel positive about around that fringes, even though, of course, it was a marketing person's paradise. Well, it was. Like, I, I slightly disagree with you on that, the fact that you couldn't buy any other drink apart from oh, yeah, Heineken within 50 metres and you had all the other nonsense, stuff. And nonsense, There was nonsense. all sorts of weird and wonderful things going on. Yeah, there was some really weird, you couldn't, like Twickenham, you couldn't get anything within 50 metres, it had to be Heineken. Um, so there were some strange things like well, that. Would and you I, agree I with me about the extra kings up to that? Or is, is that nearly, you don't even give them credit for that? That's nearly oh, no, no, a nod. That, well, no, that, that just makes sense. That makes sense. You spread the thing around England. You can't have a World Cup in England and then only keep it in a small... It, well, what, what if they'd only stuck to soccer stadiums and not given those couple of smaller rugby grounds a chance? Or? Well, again, it made sense in the fact that the teams that they put down there were the teams that didn't have huge support. Yet the locals supported them fantastically well because they're they're proper rugby. I still rugby think people. they could have filled the soccer stadium for Georgia and, and Uruguay or whatever, or, you know, Georgia and Namibia, as as the Australians managed to do when Georgia and Uruguay played in in two thousand three. They sold that one out, which they all felt was kind of a turning point in terms of getting attendances. I just think there was a little nod to the traditional side of the game, which gives me a smidgen of hope. Except that they they didn't use Welford Road. Okay. Well, I think Welford Road the issue is safety for the crowd. They're going to get eight thousand in safely or something. So safety. Well, they, 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 they constantly have seventeen thousand people in there on, on every second week when they're playing at home. So some, there was some issue. Obviously, different people. Obviously, different crowd go to World Cup. <laughs> well, that, well, no, no, we we know that's the case. Well, I think it's significant that when Leicester played big games, they go across to the Leicester City Stadium, the King Power. So I think I think that the big thing was they they didn't have any games. There was no obvious place in the southwest. There's no. You may have the Memorial Ground in Bristol, but that's not really a place. That's not a huge ground. You you may argue why didn't I have at the wreck again? That could be a safety issue. I don't know. But there was not. The wreck yeah, is way too small. But basically, they went to the, if rugby is played, it's traditionally played in about four places in England, and one of those is the southwest. There are no soccer stadiums. You're not going to go to St James's Park and Exeter. It's 
you're not going to go down. You're not going to go to Plymouth. You might go to Southampton, but it's too far, okay. uh, too far east. Okay. So it's a logical okay. place to go. Okay, so it was logical and it wasn't as much tradition. And then we, it was still being taken over by the marketing corporate. I'm sorry I even brought it up now because now it's just more depressing than ever. That's how world sport works. I know Rob. it's how it's it about, works. It's about the money and it'll probably what be what sinks our 2023 campaign. Oh, that moves things on swiftly to the next uh, segment of the podcast. Ireland to host the Rugby World Cup. Would we just have a listen to what Mike Finnerty had to say about this? You may remember Mike, he was on with us at the start of the podcast um, week one or week two. Week two, I think it was, uh, Sky Sports commentator with the GA. We just thought we'd get kind of that perspective on it. He loves his rugby too, as you would have heard that time. But this was his thoughts on what a Rugby World Cup might mean for Ireland from a sporting context. Mike Finnerty of uh, Sky Sports GA commentary fame and also uh, Mayo News Sports editor is along with me. Big rugby fan, but very much just a supporter of the rugby game. It's the one sport he doesn't necessarily delve into too much as a, as a journalist. And uh, from that perspective, we're really interested to get the idea of the sports fans' uh, view on the Rugby World Cup coming to Ireland. And maybe a little bit on, on it coming to Mayo as well, if it ever did and if Casabar was included. Your thoughts on it? You know, the bigger picture of these sporting events, the legacy, does it cost too much? Is it realistic to host it? What's your thoughts on it all these years out and as the campaign grows in momentum and a lot of talk about it now while their current Rugby World Cup is on? I think it would be fantastic, Rob. Um, the Special Olympics for me back in 2003 showed what Ireland can do when we're thrust into the spotlight in this way. It, it's a wonderful opportunity for a country to, to showcase itself, to put its best put, foot forward. Everybody as well pulls together that sort of mehel spirit that we heard so much about years and years ago and maybe don't see and hear as much about nowadays. I think it's, it's, it's there to be tapped into again. And from a Mayo perspective, with Mikhail Park and Castlebar obviously being one of the stadium that's talked about as a potential host uh, venue, I think it could only be good for, for this part of the world. Likewise, uh, Galway and, and, and possibly the sports grounds as well, or, or, or Pierce Stadium as well. It would bring a huge influx of visitors. It would bring international exposure. And in terms of a legacy, I think the likes of the GEA in particular, and maybe to a lesser extent the FAI, could learn an awful lot about how to present yourself as, as an international sporting event and as an international sporting body. Because if there's one thing, in my opinion, that uh, the rugby community do, it's, um, it's presentation. You know, their, their media um, output, second to none, the way they uh, package and present big competitions, whether it's the the Heineken Cup, as it used to be called, or the Pro 12, or the the Southern Hemisphere competitions, they're so slickly packaged. Um, they, they're very conscious of the need to engage with media and, and make sure that they get their PR uh, stuff right. That's something I'd love to see, um, maybe at first hand, so that the likes of the GEA, who, who, let's be honest, leave, leave a lot to be desired in, in that regard, um, could learn from. But for me, it would be most certainly a positive thumbs up. I think whatever it would cost, we would get back tenfold. And any chance Ireland gets and the West of Ireland gets to, uh, to showcase itself, I think it's, it's, it's all good for me. 
You talk about uh, GA's, uh, you know, openness to try and get involved in this. They've been really proactive in mm. this, and it's all part of maybe a decade-long, maybe two-decade-long massive transformation in the way the GA looks outwardly and looks to try and exp- get it, get it, get the sport out there. They really embrace these ideas. They've been at the forefront of this Rugby World Cup bid. You got things like Caseman Park in Belfast, where you could have a situation where both communities will be driving to get this incredible stadium uh, finished, which, looking at the designs, could transform. The way we think about GA stadiums in Ireland, and this could be kind of the legacy that goes way beyond rugby, couldn't it? Oh yeah, I think. Look, ever since um, rugby was played in in Crow Park, mm. it changed everything. Um, it, it literally knocked down barriers. It broke through um, old sort of hardened beliefs, and it also showed that the sky didn't fall in just because a game of rugby was played in in, in the Gaelic Athletic Association's headquarters. And as you said, I mean, if, if there was a huge rugby game to be played in the likes of your your Caseman Park in Belfast or maybe Kingspan, Breffney Park in Cavan. I mean, the message that would send out across the the communities and it would, it would for the next generation as well for the for the kids coming through to see that and and to be exposed to that could only be a good thing. The way the stadium as well would have to be upscaled and improved uh, to meet the criteria for for the likes of a, of a rugby World Cup as well. I mean, it it would bring so many GA grounds into the twenty first century. Um, otherwise, let's be honest, they probably will be left to lag behind. They may not make the the necessary improvements. May not have the the budget to make the necessary improvements. But I suppose to use a time honoured phrase, they would be able to surf the wave on the back of uh, a successful Rugby World Cup bid. So I think from an aesthetic point of view, um, from, a, from a historical significance point of view and from a, sheerly, uh, a purely socio-economic point of view as well, I don't see any downsides to the uh, Ireland hosting the Rugby World Cup. It, it can only be a good thing. And I think um, the benefits of it will be seen for years to come. Ireland hosting the Rugby World Cup. Just one thing Mike said, I want to pick up on, you know, just around the spirit of the, he's talked about spirit of the Special Olympics, which kind of showed Ireland hosting a kind of a big event. The stadiums are there. We really want to showcase ourselves. There is a feeling that no country does, you know, bandwagon and parties like Ireland does. And we're actually starting to not look at that as a negative, look at it as a really good positive, which could really help in terms of uh, the enthusiasm behind hosting it. What's your thoughts? Yeah, well, you know, all the corporates love coming to Ireland because it's a great party place. So, you know, it might be a good, might make up for the fact that it's it might not generate necessarily as much money as other places might do. But because the um, the fun and the crack we have here, uh, lots of people love it and lots of people want to want to be part of it. William, you led us into this, so uh, you know, just from the basis of you, starting to wonder if the old marketing uh, way the rugby is going might prohibit Ireland from hosting. Can you give us a bit more reason why you think that might be a key issue for us? Well, the New Zealand World Cup didn't make money, but it wasn't supposed to. Uh, This World Cup has made, or English rugby had to produce 80 million. Hmm. Uh, Japan probably would be cost neutral. So the next World Cup after that, 2023, will have to produce money. The idea of having it here is fantastic. And what Alan says is completely correct. I think this would be a brilliant place to host it, especially for fans but they're not usually top of any rugby <laughs> administrator's That's list. That's a fact. Yeah. Especially rugby fans. Um, because, you know, you could come to a match in Galway on Saturday at 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock, get in your car, go to a game in Limerick at 7 o'clock, if you, if you wanted to. Yeah. It's a small country. Getting around it is easy. You don't have to take internal flights. 
you can drive, you can get a bus, you can get a train, provided they aren't on strike. But the problem is, let's just pick a, a game. We'll say September the 20th, 2023, in Galway, Georgia are playing Namibia. And we'll say it's in Pierce Stadium. because We'll that, do a Craggy Island rugby episode on that one. And the difficulty is the cheapest ticket is €60. Euros because that's the price you have to charge to make the money to get the event. But you still, how do you then turn around and say, we're going to sell enough tickets for that game? I accept people will want to go, mm. but you're having to get people who aren't rugby people. I mean, uh, that's no disrespect to them, yeah. but you're going to have to... There's, only about a, there's about 120, 140,000 rugby people in the country yeah. that would call themselves, and, and that's, a, that's a big estimate. And they're not, they can't go to every game. So you have to... You, England, English fans, Welsh, Scottish... French, Italians, they'll, they'll come. Um, less Australians and New Zealanders, they'll, they'll come in numbers. But you need local people. And that's where England and the games in Cardiff, they was just large, a large, large population to buy into these other games and were prepared to pay quite a lot of money for tickets. When you've only got a small population, you've just got less people floating around looking for tickets. And that's why I think it'll become it'll become difficult to beat off the competition. It's one of the reasons it'll... it'll but how are they going to prove that? How do they prove that we won't sell the tickets? You know, like in other sports, they do pre... Like, they have no way of knowing that we won't buy them. Uh, they won't uh, take that risk. You have to produce the money up front. You've got to... Whether you make the profit or not, you've got to be able to sign the cheque and but hand Japan, it over. Japan and New Zealand didn't have to do that. As far as I understand, Japan is going to be looked upon as cost neutral. So, but they, they won't do it for this. They think. won't do it for this world. The next World Cup will have to make money. Well, I think, I think we, or Dave, if, if that happens, we just can't host it anyways. If they come to us and look for 80 million, we'll just go where we can't do it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because we don't have 80 million unless we sell something like, I don't know, the North again. Um, <laughs> who are we selling them to this time? And why the hell are we even bringing that up? <laughs> um, let, let, no, just, just just next tangent. <laughs> okay. No, basically, I think William, William, if it's purely based on we have to produce the money, we have to we have to front up the money beforehand. Then that's we're not going to host it. There's another very practical reason why I would think Georgia Namibia is a very in Pierce is a very bad idea, and that's where Pierce Stadium is. And I think that's something we haven't we have got the one consistent complaint about this World Cup has come from fans and it has been that getting into and out of grounds has been problematic. And there's been a lot of complaints about, of all things, the tubes. The tubes didn't run. Twickenham well, tube closed down. We don't have that issue. It's not the tube. It's, it's actually the rail network into Twickenham, which has always been a problem. And they were going to redevelop Twickenham Station but they're not actually redevelopment it till next year, which is quite odd because the sign was up there about seven years ago warning people that it was about to be redeveloped. Twickenham is a nightmare to get to. It's, it's, a, it's a shambles. And David's right, that is an issue here. But we'll just give everybody two bottles of free Heineken when they're coming out of the ground and they'll be happy. Yeah, and do you know, do you know what I'd say, Dave, too? In, in the context of a global tournament, a walk from Galway City out the Strand, I did it for the Mayo-Galway match this year. Of course, it's a ridiculous location for a ground, but I don't think... Galway's tiny but compared also, to other ones. Uh, you go first, the harbour will be rebuilt and there will be a beautiful 25-seater yeah. sa- yeah. yeah. stadium in there that Connacht and Galway United will be sharing. We won't need to go to Pierce Stadium. But we can't... I thought you were going to add something more <laughs> logical. <laughs> if, we can, if we don't get hit with the money and if we decide 
if we if we get it, I think you have to look at the idea of having we have four provinces. Let's have four groups. Now, I think we all think there are problems with four groups, but hopefully it might be, if we have to have four groups of five, because if we have five groups, it gets a bit bit messy. But if you had four groups, you could have one in each province. And then you have to start looking at second grounds. Leinster is okay. Ulster is a little bit problematic. They've got Ravenhill, and they might have Clonus, and they might have somewhere else. They might have Derry, they might have somewhere. In Connacht, we realistically are looking at, you would need to have three venues. Two of the most obvious venues are in Galway, and one's in Castlebar. The most accessible is the sports ground. Because Castlebar is problematic. We know Castlebar is problematic on a big day to get out of. Otherwise, you're looking at Roscommon, which is a nightmare. And you're, um, So we need to be practical as well. We, if we get the World Cup, which I think William has raised the issues of whether we get it. But once we get it, we've got to start being realistically. We ne- our infrastructure at this moment in time needs improving anyway. If we're going to host something like this, can you imagine the infrastructure? I, I think they can be around. I, I, th- I definitely wouldn't realize Castlebar uh, because of that. Because well, they train network roads. Like, I mean, uh, even I, as roads go, it's, it, it's, it's a small I, country. I know, I'm, I'm saying that as well. But if you're telling people that you can... The emphasis is that you, you emphasise the fact that people can drive and they can take in everything else as well. But you still need to improve your roads and you still need to improve your... Yeah. Your accessibility okay. is your major issue. It's my massive issue with, with certain... I even think Thornwind isn't the mo- is not has issues with certain accessibility. And, and Lance, thankfully, Lansdowne is better, but it's still not great. And there's still issues with getting into Croke Park because Croke Park will be used. All these grounds have accessibility problems. That's even, that's, and that's even assuming we do get it because William's highlighted the reasons why we might not even get it because they might decide they want to open up a market and it might go somewhere like Argentina. Argentina won't get it because of the ticket prices. They wouldn't pay 10 euros to go and game, watch a game of rugby. It's, 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 it's about money. And I think the one thing we have going in our favour is we did produce a lot of fans, bandwagoners or otherwise, at games. And that will have been noted, that they turn up, they make a lot of noise. And obviously they're there to support Ireland. Uh, but I agree with Dave, when these guys come to do the, the, the box tickers with their uh, notepads and their clipboards, they will look at things like accessibility and handling crowds and marketing opportunities and is there space around the ground for this uh, the particular beer tent that's allowed. They can factory end in Casabar, they'll cover it. There's loads of room outside there. <laughs> if whatever you're gonna do, you're gonna have to do someone whoever if it does come here and we do get Pier Stadium the smooth talking that the person is going to have to do with the residents of that particular part of Salt Hill, he's going to have to be a genius. Dave, that's the same in Casement Park. There, there are going to be a lot of issues like that. That's the same. Casement Park mightn't get built because of that, and so on and so forth. So many of these GA grounds have been put in locations where the residents have been ignored because of the power that the GA had, and I have no problem saying that because Pierce Stadium wouldn't be built in any country in the world. There's 12 car parking spaces for a 32,000 stadium. Um, so, yeah, like, I mean, when people start looking at that... The, the, the funny thing is that those sort of issues mightn't actually drift down to world rugby. Okay. Because they're actually going to be looking at a different sort of bottom line. Uh, the other issue is world rugby is actually run from Dublin. That's where they're based. So that might give us a little bit of uh, a heads up. The main competition is going to come from South Africa, in my view. They haven't held it since 1995. Not exactly swimming in infrastructural brilliance at the moment, as we were like the stories you hear from there and the chaos in their infrastructure. Um, well, all you no have train systems running, for example. Well, there are trains, they're just very slow trains. And if you want to get onto a plane at an airport when it's busy, 
you just have to basically kick elderly people out of the way and shoulder charge them. It can be done. I've done it. <laughs> because I also have a very big bag. And if you push your bag in front of you, it's amazing how fast you can get through a queue. Um, we could quote you. I don't think we could possibly quote him out of context in taking any segment of that. It's exactly as it sounds. It is, I'm afraid. No, the, 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 uh. <laughs> yeah, Dave just said try that in Russia, so you have to listen to our other podcast and say, uh, uh, um, yeah, finish your training, so we'll bring on. That, so that's what we're up against. But, but the thing they have is big rugby grounds, and they have, they have the, the, the people infrastructure who go to watch rugby in big numbers. So that, and I know soccer's a bigger game there, but that's what we're up against. If, we, if we're going to do this, we really have to get this right. The other good thing on our side is I'm sure the British government can be tapped up for a few bob in the north if it's done cleverly. Ah, oh, yeah. Well, the GA know how to do that up there, so that's, that, that's one of the points. Alan, you're staying quiet on this. Like, I'm interested to know why. Is it just because you think the lads have it covered, or what's your thinking? Yeah, I think they've, they've covered off most of it at this stage, and it's just too far away for me to, to really think about it, to be honest. Yeah. Like I, like I do, like, you know, the one thing, I suppose one of the advantages our grounds of playing the games in Gaelic grounds is that we'll have... Um, Decent size in goal areas. <laughs> there is, we need to. I love that. You've just represented all those people, like, yeah, whatever. Well, well, there is also the fact that we're hosting the Women's World Cup. I think that's a big thing. Uh, in know. one venue, and yeah, it's no, ridiculous. That's, like, that's, it's that's, embarrassing. That's, that's really Nonsense. dumb. Idea. It's been held in UCD with some token games going to Belfast. Nonsense. That shows both that we can host the World Cup and also how, badly, how we can badly host the World Cup. Oh, to have it in one venue is. I know that this is how they done it, and I know they done it in France, they had it in three venues. But I think it's a shocking waste because we're not France. We could have had it in, we could have had a, again, we could have had a group in Cork, a group in Galway, oh, a group in Belfast, a group in Dublin. And why not do it? Because the crowd, crowds in that, when the Women's World Cup, are not an issue. William, just to finish this, when's the decision likely to be made? The decision should be made sometime in 2017. It will be, it'll be announced. Um, I suppose the number of people bidding will be reduced down to two or three. Italy are talking about it. But again, their biggest problem is they're going to use a lot of soccer grounds that are going to be in use for Serie A games and they can't get the teams to move. So I, I'm not convinced about that. I, th- I think hopefully it'll be ourselves in South Africa. Um, hopefully we put a good team together to do the job. Go and talk to the people that won the Olympics in London. They talk to the people that won the, the Rugby World Cup these guys are, are good at this. It, it's not about the sports. It's actually about global sport events. Yeah, just, just another thing that goes against us. This, 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 this one this year is in Northern Hemisphere. Japan's in Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> then if we got 23, we'd be in Northern Hemisphere. That's three in the Northern Hemisphere. I know we've got the bigger population, but jeez. Um, I, I think Japan is looked upon as such a different event. It's it's a bit it is, but it's a very big decision for World Rugby to have made because these are old men in blazers, most of them, and Japan. And it Japan. Comes back to your point about where the money in where is World Rugby, and it is in around England and France. Yeah, there's a lot of money here, and the television deals and the television timings. Japan is going to be a nightmare for that. So the TV companies might be saying, "Well, actually, we don't want us. We don't want." It's South Africa would be fine, admittedly, but you know Australia, we're sort of being lined up in case Japan wasn't ready. 
But the TV companies are going to veto that, if at all possible. So we've just got to get in there and do it properly. It's something we've never done before. So as I say, go and talk to the people that know about it. Give it the best shot. And if it happens, they will get all the rugby people behind them. That was brilliant. You've, you've really highlighted it. And maybe at the start, you might have been thinking, William, about just giving up on the prospects. He's just making it clear to people how difficult this is going to be. And uh, now we're all behind it. Rugby work up in Ireland. We'd love it. All right, this is the last stretch of the podcast, our Rugby World Cup podcast. We've had uh, around about seven episodes, I think, uh, even though it's been only six weeks. You make sense of that math yourself. Uh, moments of the World Cup. Dave, do you want to start us off there? I mean, we could, we could, do, we could do it in like uh, funny moments and uh, your favourite. Whatever you want. Well, um, so many. Um, I think the side of the gigantic Georgian lock, uh, Gorgadze. Sorry, number eight, Gorgadze. Um, with his hands on his knees, looking like a five-year-old because Nigel was telling him off. It will stay with me forever. Um, the Romanian bursting into tears when they bet Canada was also the same Romanian who burst into tears when his girlfriend said yes on Twickenham. Um, Simon Zebo's brilliant try that turned out he'd forgotten how wide the pitch was. And just uh, Japan, just Japan. Everything Japanese, especially off the pitch and especially everybody who became... Technically Japanese off the pitch. Yeah, the Japanese, brilliant. I love that kick from the Romanian against Canada. It was a long range panicker. Myself and my, my dad were in the kitchen watching that one going, Go on, hold your nerve, he'll never do it, will he? And he did. And I like I'd say he'll be a legend within Romanian rugby, but it, it just crowned the glorious World Cup. And what I love about the Rugby World Cup is there are teams like Romania who went home as if they won it. Georgia went home feeling like a massive success. A lot of teams went home from this World Cup as well as New Zealand feeling like it was a massive success and most of them are Tier 2 nations. Yeah, they will have done and that's their opportunity once every four years to get a bit of exposure mm. uh, and they took it. Uh, America turn up and didn't take it. Nope. But we're still being told it's the fastest growing college at sport in America and they're going to pump an awful lot of money into it. Um, so that kind of sticks in my mind because that was rammed down my throat constantly when they played and then they, they just went off. The one memory, I'm afraid, is a sad one for me, uh, Paul O'Connell lying on the ground with the oxygen and gas gas uh, suc- suction thing in his mouth and you just knew, you just knew that the warrior was going to be carried off and he wasn't, he wasn't coming back. Yeah, and I, I watched that. I was telling you on a stream in America where they, the way they do that live stream when you pay for it is, is you just get the halftime stadium sounds. And uh, I have to say, like watching it with my my two friends there, we just the silence in the room and the silence in the stadium and no one going for halftime. I'm sure the people in the vending machines were wondering, where is everyone? It's halftime. It was really eerie. It's one of the eeriest moments. And like you don't want to get too wound up in it because it's only sport and he's okay and life goes on. But at the same time, you don't like to see any career end like that. Well, international career should be said. Still some rugby in Toulon, hopefully. Well, hopefully. Hopefully he gets himself fit and gets himself well and goes down and does his thing down in Toulon. Um, yeah, highlights for me were, were um, the quality of the, the TV analysis from TV3 in between the mountains of ads was actually so good. It was just a delight not to have to listen to Tom McGurk cutting people up every time he wanted to make a... If he, th- if he felt something controversial wasn't being said... I really enjoyed the fact it was proper, proper analysis done. We're going to talk about the media in a second then, because that's a, that's, that's a good segue. Any other moments? Yeah, just Argentina. Just, oh, just bringing a whole life and joie de vivre to the whole game and playing at a really high level. <coughs> Pardon me, my throat's, my throat's gone. Yeah, yeah, from too much shouting last night, I think, um, at the Connacht match. 
Um, but yeah, they're just them um, and their fans and the joy their fans brought to everything. Fantastic. All right, we've nearly lost Alan. Look, uh, we'll see. There's been a call to sub him off, and not this late. Leave him on the pitch. Let's see this, see this out to the end. He's drinking some water. We might get, get one more uh, segment out of it. Listen, media overall, TV3. Uh, I thought TV3 did a pretty good job. They could have moved the panel around a little bit more. I thought it was the same voices all the time, especially when we got from the quarterfinals on, and they did have to say, a lot of the time say the same thing. Shane Jennings was superb. Yeah, really good brought a, a, a real player who's only ever played professional rugby hasn't played any amateur rugby has only played in the professional era expects to win expects teams to win and doesn't really want to discuss coming second or playing well but going home and that's great because that's a true reflection ITV, I watched a fair bit of ITV. Some of it was good, some of it was absolutely awful, which is what you expect from ITV sport. What was good was their in-game analysis, where they actually analysed things during the match using telestrators very quickly because they knew at half-time they had to get in all the ads. Uh, and that was interesting, picking up things. On the commentary side for TV3, uh, I thought Stuart Burns was excellent and far better than he is on Sky. He actually was concentrating more on the rugby and the match than trying to do funnies, which he some. I think it's because he, he was a mercurial player and I think he just gets bored with some of the lesser quality matches and he's just thinking, right, there's only 20 minutes to go and I can leave. Um, so he, he did actually really work. Having a commentator and two summarisers is a, is a tricky one. Yeah, fair play to Conor McNamara, who isn't a rugby commentator and did get lost a couple of times, but he was inclined to let Liam Toland go. And at times I just was thinking, give him a telestrator so he can show us what he's talking about because he was losing me and I watch a lot of rugby and I was thinking he's going to have lost a lot of people, but he has a lot to say. And RTE will have the Six Nations coming up. Uh, there's been a clear out on that panel, so let's see who they look for. Um, because it's important. Yeah, just on Shane Jennings, now I've got my voice back. Um, what I noticed from the start of the tournament to the end of the tournament, he he keep, he was that professional player who suddenly realised he wasn't in that bubble anymore and that he could say stuff he needed to say and needed to be said and became more forthright as the thing came on and he really developed brilliantly as an analyst. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Dave? Um, yeah, there's some interesting things. I think... Like, we all basically have man crushes on Murray Kinsler. Um, the only thing they did wrong with Murray Kinsler is not Sinead Kassan, lads. It just looks bizarre. Um, when she's trying to interview him yeah. and trying to hold the microphone yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, <laughs> I, I just think like like they do with... What was the famous racing journalist who used to give a box to stand on? Who was that? Willie Carson, Willie Carson used to get yeah. a box to stand on. Uh, and it worked fine. It, it did, but it, it would have... Or give her the microphone that the, they used to interview jockeys, which is on, <laughs> which is on an extension. But, and maybe have them just walking around in a circle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, right, you yeah. could do that as well. But yeah, but that, it, look, it was, it, it was very interesting, but it did sort of catch your eye sometimes more than what he was saying I mean Murray, Murray really knows his stuff and his stuff in the 42 and is, some is of actually... the early afternoon games were brilliant when he was in studio yeah. so. um, they brought Fiona Coughlin which yeah, was a huge class. move yeah. and it, so people were going well, who is this why have they got a woman on them then they went oh god she knows what she's talking about I do. I think Alan is right the clear is going to be it'll be interesting I know they'll probably keep Conor O'Shea they'll probably keep Shaggy who gets the third piece who gets into the box because they'll probably keep Tony Ward 
they have three. They will have three matches to cover it. They need six people, and they need to turn around because they can't have the same two same panel on two days. They should, if they can. TV three doesn't have any rugby. Pick up Murray Kinsler. Pick up Fiona Coughlin. Pick up Shane Jennings. Woody will go back to the BBC. Matt Williams he'll go to radio. But they have to utilise it. TV three's open the door. If they if RT doesn't take it, then they're taking a step backwards. Fiona Coughlin was excellent, but why did she disappear after the, uh, yeah. the group games? And she wasn't really on too much during the pool stages either. It was pretty no. much out of nowhere. So it was like that, like great, but come on, more of that. And well, but I think that comes back to there was so few games, and they didn't want to deviate from. The, they have an A panel. I think that's one thing RT does do. It does tend to jazz up its A panel. Now it's led to pop. Yeah, up, but you can still develop a good B panel rather than just yeah, having two they people. Didn't have any, they didn't feel there was the only time they might. No, I didn't see their coverage of the third place playoffs, so I don't know who was on their panel. So I don't know. But it, they didn't seem to have a B panel per se after the quarterfinals. Does that mean he's got a B panel ready for us? No, no, no. We've, oh. got, a, we've got a B. Oh, person, I do. <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> Let me tell you. Have you, not, have you not noticed Andrew's been coming back in a little bit yeah. more? Yeah, he's right. building. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's trying, to, try, trying to make us lift our game. Is it yeah, the New, Ze- yeah. New Zealand way? Conrad yeah, yeah. Smith, you're off. <laughs> and on that bombshell, we'll be back. We're all going to Japan. That's part of the budget. Yeah. I've worked it out. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, sure. We're, we're, sending, we're sending William on a recce to Russia. Let's see if that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, no, I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to go to Japan after Russia just to have a look around. Just have though. a look around, yeah. Ah, I see. I uh, see. Now, the budget will come true in 2019, so can you just pay yourself <laughs> and, and keep the receipts on that bombshell? See you in 2019 or next week on Craig Island Rugby. Yeah, you can get loads more of us. New Zealand are world champions. Yay. Am I in that budget? Oh. Thank you.